season. So it's you're legally allowed to ghost people for the, the entire month <laughs> of October. That's in the Constitution. And so you can't the spooky Constitution. So you can't uh, you can't tell me that you're upset about being ghosted this month. That's not how this works. I'm not even mad. This So first of all, it happened two years ago in July. And now we're actually going out on Friday. So spooky season actually came through for me. That's not ghosting. I read this book by some white chick. I mean, not book. I read this article by some white <laughs> chick about this. That's called submarining, I think. <laughs> when you disappear, like when you stop talking to somebody and then inadvertently become friends at college. Only to yeah. start, like only to go out two years. That I, I feel like it's ghosting. I feel like if you just disappear, because we didn't, you know, we hadn't known each other at the time. But that's just me. I'm down for it. Spooky season has been good to me so far. You know, I'm going to watch some ice hockey and probably like, you know, some horror movies and just kind of relax the whole season. Personally, I feel like that's like plane shifting, not submarining. If we're just keeping, if we're just keeping, <laughs> if we're keeping what is, shit. What is this magic the gathering? Like, what did she? <laughs> she put, she plane shifted you. Like, you know, just, for two years, she fucking went to the astral plane or like the, I don't know, the semi ethereal plane of uh, lightning or some shit. And, and now she's back, you know, ready, so they just ready. like, you know, they just they cast it. They cast an instant spell from their hand real quick. And then I was just like out for a while. It's cool, though. Anyway, let's we're getting off track. <laughs> and, you know, frankly, I hate planning episodes at this point because last week we had planned to talk about the impeachment and some other shit. I can't remember what it was now. Oh, and this week we plan to have the conversation about the impeachment but every time I plan some shit, some like extreme racist shit happens in the intervening period. And I'm like, oh, well, now this has excited my brain and we have to talk about this instead. Uh, so but I do think, you know, we're still going to have the conversation about it, about uh, the impeachment proceedings, because I think it actually fits into both the first part of the conversation we're going to have. And, the you know, we're probably going to end up touching on ellen and the rehabilitation of the bush administration or rather the lack of accountability of the bush administration how does that sound richard uh sounds about right i think we wanted to touch on the uh auto worker strike as well uh, get a little of that in there and there's uh some racism in union history as well so i think we can fit that mix that in that is true but maybe we should get we should might get want to get an expert on labor history for that too but i mean to begin with uh, I'm going to put this out there. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to soft pedal it in or softball it in. The police assassinated that dude, right? Like that's my read. I mean, they obviously assassinated him so obviously that it makes me think that fucking like it might not have be true, right? Have you ever seen a crime that's so obviously like mishandled? Oh, well, obviously. Or rather, you ever seen like a cover up besides the Epstein cover up of obviously that is so poorly handled that you think to yourself well yeah shit i mean obviously this is a cover-up but it's so obvious in the assassination that maybe it's not one you may like there this is what six-dimensional chess actually is like it's like the police killing this nigga in cold blood in his parking lot in a way that is so transparently a police uh retribution for you know essentially uh fucking basically testifying that this white chick this white cop shot this black dude in his apartment because she got high or drunk or just you know it's a dumbass cop and conf got confused and that, now we're here yeah no it, it's remarkable and uh, i mean that's that's my read as well that essentially the, this guy was assassinated even even if by some bewildering chain of events that this uh what allegedly transpired actually somehow transpired i i sincerely doubt the the 
the preconditions leading up to it is we have to also imagine that like all the circumstances that we have to accept to believe this story are so ridiculous is like i've seen them listed out in a variety of ways uh on twitter so far but like there's several that stand out uh i think number one obviously is like this guy was you know this moving pounds of weed right across the uh door or like hallway kind of thing within earshot of this cop's apartment and in earshot of uh Botham Jean's apartment, and then it's like we have the moving across state borders, uh, you know, not leaving, like, well, you well, know, go ahead. I, I'm, gonna <laughs> you, I'm gonna stop you right there. So, like, I, you don't have to be some kind of Negroid Sherlock Holmes to <laughs> suss out why this case, or rather, why this series of, of events that that big ass headed cop, because they honestly, uh, Two things struck me about the cop that they get got to like basically rec- recount the series of events that led to Joshua Brown's assassination. A that he was black, and B that that nigga had a gigantic head, like he had like a light bulb shaped head. Anyway, uh, you don't have to be some sort of like black Sherlock Holmes or Jonathan Frakes from you know Believe It or Not, Fact or Fiction, to fucking understand like why this looks at least moderately suspicious because frankly we'll never know what really happened we'll we'll always know what the police allegedly say happened but like you know it, it in the entire context of american history and the law enforcement's history of assassinating black and brown people for a variety of reasons both political and just like criminal you know petty drug crimes like they do in chicago like it's not out of their own possibility to be like hey you know this is this this looks and smells fishy why does it look and smell fishy well frankly because the both the character of the person and like the events that have occurred make me believe it's you know make me believe i'm, I'm this is an assassination first like so from what I saw about of this dude, Joshua Brown, he's literally in court in a Dragon Ball Z t-shirt. Right there to me, that makes me uh, that makes me feel incredibly uh, an incredible amount of affinity with this dude. Like he seems nervous, he's testifying against the police department. Police are fucking racist. He's you know, he needs to drum up a little bit of courage and be comfortable so he wears his favorite fucking anime t-shirt. I'm like, "Bet, that's me right there." You know, you know, I, 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 I see, I see me in him. That's a very humanizing thing to see. I think it's worth pointing out that, it, like, it sent the like in the center of the shirt is also Krillin. So it's it's not even like a Vegeta shirt or you know a typical or like a Goku like cele- a celebration of Krillin. I think it speaks something to continue. No, exactly. This, this nigga is not even like an aggressive Vegeta or Piccolo type figure. He he's rocking a shirt with Chaozu on it, to, you know, or Yamcha. You know, rolling up into court like this is my this is my safety blanket. I feel strong. I feel invincible in this Dragon Ball Z shirt. But you know, apparently that deep, deep fucking cut of a Krillin Dragon Ball Z shirt was all meant to distract from the fact that he was actually a drug kingpin who was so bold that he planned a interstate drug deal. Uh, two within two days. Actually, if you're being honest, between two court cases in which he was testifying against the police. Now, that's not to say that 
well, I mean, it doesn't say that the police were going to, he thought the police was going to assassinate him because he said that he thought the police were going to assassinate him. He literally said he feared police retribution. But that is not to say that he was expecting to be assassinated. But I think the average person would expect to have the police watching you if you just testified against them. But in this case, my dude is so bold. He got so much fucking energy from that Krillin shirt that he actually planned a drug deal in between the, uh, the criminal and civil cases against the Dallas PD. And it just so happened that the dudes, the three dudes who drove 300 miles from what fucking New Orleans, Louisiana, Louisiana to Dallas, Texas to buy what is essentially uh, what $300,000. I mean, not $300,000, $30,000 worth of weed. Uh, because of course, you know, we all know that the only place you can buy weed is in Dallas, Texas. Um, that exactly. And and of course those, those three people shot him because the drug deal went bad. Why did it go bad? I don't know. Maybe they were fans of, maybe they were Sailor Moon fans. And and this was a a rehashing of the, the, you know, the age old Toonami Sailor Moon V Dragon Ball Z beef of the of the late 90s early 2000s right uh, i would believe they, that more than the story they've given so far but go ahead i believe any story more than the story that they believe that they've told so far because the story they told so far is bullshit it's less believable than joe biden's corn pop story it's like it makes literally no sense mostly because i wouldn't travel 300 miles to buy weed i wouldn't travel 300 miles to save i don't know at least one of your lives <laughs> wow fuck you <laughs> I'd have to be. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to Jersey. I have turned down dates with reasonably attractive women in Jersey because they live in Jersey, and Jersey is like thirty minutes away from New York City. So the idea that I'm going to travel fucking three hundred miles to buy a, a an easily accessible drug. Uh, and not even a significant amount is ridiculous. However, I will say someone made a good point on fucking Twitter that the reason that it was that he was a weed kingpin and had and only was selling weed to these people was because that's probably all the fucking Dallas PD had in their goddamn evidence locker room at the time. It's like that's that's all that's all they had to plant. But here's the thing. So real quick, do not ask me how I know about all this. But to be real with you, you're very unlikely to have people that are driving from New Orleans to Dallas. Realistically, you would have somebody driving from Houston to New Orleans because that's only a couple hour drive. And then within that, it would likely be a middleman. You hire a driver. You don't move weight like that by yourself. That's drug dealing one on one. Right. So, like, to be honest, anybody that knows anything about drug dealing, whether or not you've dealt drugs or you've just been in neighborhoods where where niggas do deal drugs, right? Like, you know, nobody that's not that's not how this works. Like, that's not how the game works. And third of all, I have never bought weed from uh, from a nigga in a Dragon Ball Z T-shirt. I, I'm sorry. I just I couldn't like he did. I, I've seen the pic. That man does not deal drugs that he no. That nigga gives free hugs on the corner trying to make thugs into readers. Like, that's who that man is. He does not. It, it, it's just bullshit. It's high key bullshit. I'm not going to say that it's impossible for a Dragon Ball Z fan to deal drugs. That seems like a stretch. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I just said I've never bought drugs from a nigga wearing a Dragon Ball Z t-shirt. Mo- like, I'd say 90, 99% of black men between the ages of like 16 and 37 like Dragon Ball Z. 
I'm just saying not many of them that are hard like that, that are out there dealing that like moving weight like that are going to be wearing a Dragon Ball Z t-shirt, especially the court. And, and allegedly like shooting first and, and right? <laughs> like all these kinds of things. Like what? Like, come on now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's like, that's the weird part, right? So what I brought the Dragon Ball Z t-shirt because while I don't necessarily agree that Adair is correct, that you can't, that you can't sell drugs if you like anime because every nigga likes anime and <laughs> niggas like drugs. I mean, everyone likes drugs. Everyone likes anime. It's, you know, it's the way, the way it is. Uh, but I wouldn't be accused of racism on my own fucking show. But regardless, it's just like the visage of him in court with that Dragon Ball Z t-shirt painted the picture to me of a relatively like, you know, anxious, normal person. Forgetting the fact that if he were actually dealing drugs, that shit would have come up in the cross-examination. Exactly. Like, that's another thing that blows my mind. It's like, wait, you're telling me that uh, one of the key testimonies was from uh, somebody who had 12 pounds of weed in their apartment. Like, and you're telling me the cops didn't figure this out and get tipped off until right after he showed up. Like, really? Like, really? Like, how? There's so many layers of bullshit. Like you said before, it's like it's so blatantly ridiculous. It it, it almost seems too ridiculous to not be true. Well, I mean, people are also saying the fact that, like, oh, the cops have concocted this obviously bullshit story because if it were too good if the cops were too smart if they were too skilled in fucking putting together narratives about why they kill or rather how black people were assassinated that the message would not get out there that you shouldn't fuck with the police i gotta be honest with you people know that message um the cops are just dumb right like the cops are actually just like not particularly very skilled in this because there really is no accountability within the system right because basically at this point they said okay we found a bunch of black people who shot this other black person in a drug deal gone bad which is basically which is at this point a meme it's a fucking dave Chappelle joke right sprinkle some fucking crack on this motherfucker and like and people just say it's a drug deal gone bad right yeah and, and then we investigated ourselves and found that we committed no wrong it's just weird that the details of the story are obviously so fucking manufactured that even people who don't deal drugs are like, hey, I know that people don't sell, don't move weight from their apartment. That's in the fucking Ten Crack Commandments. That's the like, that's number five. Like, you know, don't deal from where you rest. But this, but apparently this dude, and that's the problem right there too. Where it's like, at this point, in order to believe this story, you have to be so racist that it should qualify as some kind of like cognitive dysfunction in my opinion because that means you'll believe anything right and like you shouldn't be allowed to like negotiate society without someone like dealing you know being in charge of your finances because you're you're at the risk of having a, the brooklyn bridge sold to you yeah and it, it, like another aspect of this is texas is ridiculous with their pot laws uh there was a that kid a while back there's like 19 got caught with like some brownies with you know like an eighth or something mixed in and they almost they tried to give them or put them up for life so it's like the idea that you would go into texas and then plan on moving it across the state borders as well like potentially making it a federal crime and for this this cannabis and you're facing a life sentence what makes sense more sense to me is that somebody got caught up in some shit and the cops were like hey you want to avoid the fed time and a life sentence you can take this take this murder beef and you can be out in 10 and geiger loses a you know a key witness and an appeal or in uh later on she ends up serving a fraction of the time and by that time everybody's forgotten moved on to the next ridiculously racist and uh, atrocious uh, tragedy that's happened or the 10 or 12 that's happened in between 
let's 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 say for a minute, right? This is this is anywhere near real. So there would be no issue with a federal case, right? At least for not not for the the individual we're talking about, the brother that got shot. The federal case would only apply to those who actively moved weed across state lines and only if they admitted to doing that. Secondarily, anybody who has that much weed in their apartment is going to have an apartment that smells like weed in no small quantity. So how you live in the same building on the same floor as a police officer, right, and you got 12 pounds in your apartment that whole hallway is going to smell like weed because apparently he's not a very good drug dealer. So it's not like he's got it vacuum packed. He's probably just got it sitting out there chilling. Right. So it's, it, it becomes, there's, there's layers to this being an issue. And then moving beyond that, the reality is it's, you're very unlikely. You're going to get more time for a murder case than you are for 12 pounds of weed. Like that's just a reality. 12 pounds of weed in a state, even in a state that's as bullshit as Texas you're likely to get out on parole. It's a nonviolent crime. It's possession with intent to distribute. It doesn't necessarily rise to the level of a federal case. Boom, you're out. You might get, you might catch 10 or 15, but you're probably out in five, right? Like that's, that's more along the lines of what you're probably looking at when you have that much weed. That murder Wait, just case. To be clear, just, just to be clear, what I'm talking about though is the the people that are taking the this that are being charged with this likely avoiding like potential federal charges or harder charges with uh, the weed ha- possessing weed and uh, and a firearm and potentially inter traffic traf- or interstate trafficking. If instead they put the gun and the weed in in uh, the guy's apartment and they claim self-defense because he shot them first, then you end up with a much lighter sentence, uh, if any sentence at all. That, that, that just to, to describe what I'm saying. But even with that, that's not how, like, that wouldn't work necessarily, right? So there requires three things, well, two things, really. One, that somehow, some way, the police knew that they were going to move that to Louisiana. I don't care if you have out-of-state plates, you're not able to prove that, right? Having out-of-state plates does not prove conspiracy to drug to traffic drugs they got picked up not at the like you know they were already on the move like but if they were picked up in the state of texas which they would have had to have been what i'm saying is there's not enough it's circumstantial right so even in the most plausible thing which richard is talking about it's not something that anybody i think could reasonably expect to have happened which makes the story even more bullshit right like there's if you just like you look at basic just drug charges like it's not it's not happening right they might they right you have the if you have a firearm right that elevates the case you you know you'll catch more years for it but even then it's less than a murder charge and in the case of a drug deal gone wrong you're very unlikely to get a self-defense uh claim in there like it just it that's just people don't view drug dealers in a good light right so as far as they're concerned like the prosecution could just would just rip that to shreds even if they were trying to offer them a deal like that, you're getting ripped to shreds. They would most likely have just taken a plea deal. The most likely scenario and what, you know, what they could have said was they copped a plea deal, planted the drugs in his apartment and then arrested him. Right. And that makes more sense for something like the Dallas Police Department, because that's something police departments have done historically. But they didn't even do that. They just killed the brother. Historically, they they, they do they do it now. Them niggas were doing that shit in Chicago. <laughs> like, but last that's that, year. that's what I mean. Like, they, when they, I say historically, I just mean there's a precedent of them doing that. Like, that's something that they do as an organization. No, I know what you mean. I, 
that was just being fucking churlish. I know exactly what you mean, but like at that, but at that point, like it's when you say historically, I think it's important because like so much of power and like racism and like bigotry is just like people denying what basic pattern recognition would tell you and like constantly giving. I think at, at some point on this show, I was just like, uh, there are many different ra- definitions for like racism out there, but like one of my favorites is just like, oh, it's giving people or institutions or whatever like the benefit of the doubt long past the point in which you would give, you know, essentially black people or people of color the benefit of the doubt, and even way past the point in which it even makes sense to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Frankly, like police departments around the United States forget their history, right? Like they've been doing, they they still do this shit. They do, they extract wealth from the black community in a variety of ways. At the same time, parsing out the drug laws and the various felonies associated with like interstate drug trafficking, to me, is kind of fucking irrelevant because apparent A, either these guys were the fucking dumbest drug dealers in the world because if you ask me, if I'm traveling, what, five hours from Louisiana to fucking Dallas, Texas to do a drug deal, uh, I'm going to get my drugs. Uh, like, and no, like no offense but part of this is just like not only did the drug deal go bad they didn't even steal the drugs right and the explanation i've been hearing behind that is essentially that okay well after the shooting occurred they were just they were just so desperate to get out of there and get help for their dying friend that they just left the drugs and left the money and didn't bother to get what they came for i think that should make sense if you travel down the block to do a bad drug deal but if you travel across state lines to do a dr- bad drug deal and you now have a murder rap you would get your drugs and money am i am i right i mean i just feel like yes. shit i mean you got to get the drugs and money like that just but again, that this is all like predicated on the fact that the drug deal is a real thing that actually occurred. When you know, again, from my perspective, I don't think it's being paranoid to assert that this was some kind of retribution for him, essentially testifying against Amber Geiger. We haven't even gotten into that case, which which is a whole, which also has a lot of weird, extraneous elements to it. Where it's like, okay, how do you mistake your thermal department for your own? But I mean, of course, we don't know what her intoxication was because I, I believe that they delayed doing any kind of drug or alcohol screening until it was too late for her. Um, the police also planted marijuana in that dude's apartment. Not that that justifies being assassinated by a cop, but shit. I mean, that, that apparently they just they were there was a big drug bust in Dallas, Texas, so they had a lot of extra drugs lying around the evidence locker. So, but in this particular case, where it comes to Joshua Brown, like so much of it, but so much of believing it is wrapped up in just like having to think that black people are so irrational that they don't that that they would do certain behaviors that don't necessarily even make sense within the framework of like what a, a normal human being would do like and i don't mean like normal as in someone who doesn't do crimes or deviate from society but just like normal in like easy efficient self-interest self-interested the path of least resistance why are you even traveling to Texas? Shreveport is in Louisiana, and I'm pretty sure New Orleans has drug dealers because I listened to fucking Cash Money Millionaires when I was in fucking uh, high school, and I know Little Wayne wasn't rapping sober. So it, it just, there are just elements of this that you can only believe if you have an overwhelming faith in the state that doesn't make any sense, or B, 
if you have an overwhelming the desire to portray black people as inherently criminal and this just fits within that narrative and it doubles uh, and i mean obviously those two things are overlapping i mean the venn diagram people who have an overwhelming uh, overwhelming belief in the the sanctity of the state and their inability to do wrongdoing or position all their wrongdoings as though they're anomalous and not part of a larger structure of like just bad cops all cops are bad and people think that black people are all criminals <laughs> it's like a fucking circle but like at a certain point you have to acknowledge that none of these facts actually make sense within like human behavior and not like best interest behavior but like oh no people just don't do that and people don't travel to fucking uh across state lines to buy like ten thousand dollars worth of weed that's not that much weed if you're like a drug if you're buying wholesale you're going to buy wholesale right you're not going to like you might as well tell me they, they travel they, they travel to fucking texas to buy a dime bag right like it doesn't make any sense right and i mean there, there's some like so many layers and then on top of all that we gotta uh you know assume like we gotta like believe that uh dallas pd actually solved the murder that rapidly like that that's fucking ridiculous like that's not gonna happen there's every single aspect of this is so absurdly ridiculous it just it reminds me of is you know the whole like chris rock you know the you know you don't want to be me and i'm rich it's like we know it we know we know the police are corrupt we know that they're killing black people they're killing the you know people are being murdered literally like literally murdered and speculatively murdered and uh the we know the systemic violence is happening all across you know whether it's a uh, you know abuse or stop and frisk or uh, whatever it is and the, we're reaching the point of well what are we going to do about it i think we're going to find that that's a, a common theme throughout all of these things is that we're reaching a breaking point and it's a it's about what are we going to do about about it and i think your point about uh an irrational faith in the system and its ability to deliver justice and you, you know and truth is part of why we're reaching this breaking point because people are having to confront that that reality or that that story doesn't match the reality that they're observing with their own eyes and uh, that cognitive dissonance is causing a lot of tension uh, in society well basically every police murder might as well take place in a fucking parallel universe right where each like each some sort of branch universe theory because no one seems to be able unless they are again actively leftist to put it within the context of every other police murder everything is treated like as though it's some sort of weird anomaly Right. So like, of course, accountability for the police can't in truth really exist because these things are like these murders lack any kind of staying power because they're always put within the context of like, well, the police, the state, you know, the institutions that protect us, like they're basically good and all of their actions are basically good. But sometimes they bumble and like it's it's weird that we have this kind of bumbling person in power or bumbling, you know, individual or bumbling institution or bubbling nation narrative that operates at so many different levels and people kind of pick and choose where they want to get off with it where it's like we have the bumbling man narrative who's always transgressing over women and accidentally doing violating their personal space but he means well and you know blah 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 then we have like the you know the bumbling agencies of the state who are always you know somehow killing black people or missing funds or doing all sorts of malfeasance but it's just because like these are all anomalous this is because this is due to ignorance or some kind of weird i don't know 
uh, ineptitude that, again, you can't hold against them, but you have to excuse them. You know, it, they're just inept enough to be excused of all their actions, but not inept enough to, re- to be worth replacing. Of course, uh, and then you, of course, you have that. You have this exact same narrative at the fucking the geopolitical level, at the level global level. It's like America is just this bumbling nation that is doing its best, but of course, it's going to transgress over different countries, and it's going to accidentally do war crimes and, <laughs> and accidentally destabilize entire regions. But there's goodness in their heart, right? And that's part of what power just is. You're not allowed to draw any kind of uh, patterns. You're not allowed to make any kind of statements about the implications of those patterns uh and you're not allowed to actively hold the past or the present or any parallel essentially events that are occurring uh against the people who are like against the similar people who are doing them right you have to you have to treat everything as though it's a brand new day for again you know which is something we don't afford people who don't have that kind of ability to index or wield powers it's it's unfortunate but it's you know it's fucked up it's the nature of the game well and within that too uh, to speak to what Richard was talking about that we're reaching a point where uh, something might just be done about it I don't honestly know that that's really the case so in the in the wake of this you know whole thing my Facebook feed has been very distinct there have been angry black people, you know, so like folks like Ben, folks like Pam, you know, some of our colleagues over at Progressive Army, those kind of folks, right, have been very vocal and very, like, very angry on Facebook and Twitter and other public forums. But a lot of the white people that I know have focused on, like, so a lot of the white people I know shared a post on Facebook by that was written by a black woman, someone, at least someone I perceive as a black woman, right, that said, if I'm ever murdered, don't hug my, don't forgive my murderer, right? And they share that, and I just look at, and, I, I, and I'm just like, wow, white people really think that post pertains to them, right? Like, white people legitimately think that they understand the sentiment behind that post, and that's one of the primary reasons why I don't think we're ever going to really see any kind of reckoning, with systems of power in this country until you know for whatever reason there's some a a large enough emergency or like that black people and other people of color uh particularly indigenous folks and black folks just lose it right like it is people white people in particular like to see themselves in the struggle of people of color without actually having to be a part of that struggle and the primary people, when I talk about white folks that have done this, are white folks that face some level of systemic injustice. In the case that I'm talking about, the white people that I've been seeing have all been queer white people. And I think in their minds, their queerness brings them into that into that circle, right? Where they're like, well, somebody might kill me because I'm queer. Or, you know, for the white queer woman, someone might kill me because I'm a woman or because I'm queer. And... As I sit here, I'm just like that, you know, it is again, it's this erasure, this use of black pain to promote other issues. So black pain in this country is really a useful tool for white supremacy. And, you know, queer white folks and white women are very useful tools of white supremacy. And until they stop being that, I just don't think we can actually have an honest conversation about you know, systemic injustices in this country, let alone our role in murder, murdering folks around the world. Because again, 
I know several queer white people that are happily married to U.S. military members. And they talk about they talk a good game about domestic issues, but they're oddly silent when it comes to the U.S.'s transgressions abroad. And, you know, that and many of them are really pro Hong Kong, which is a whole nother conversation. But, you know, spoiler alert, at least this member of the podcast is very pro China. And so I just think until we start dealing with some of those things and we start having forcing white people that face any level of systemic injustice to start recognizing their place within that system 24 seven and not exploiting black pain for their own gains. Can we move forward? But I don't think that will happen. Well, let me just say, I actually forgot about the fucking hugging shit that occurred after. Yeah. (laughs) I had with, with the assassination of my man, Joshua Brown, I actually forgot about that. Exactly. But that, but Um, white people haven't even like not a single white person that I know at least has talked about the assassination, but they still will share those like, don't hug me thing, but they they will, they have not, they don't even know. First of all, I will say this, right? If I'm ever killed by the police, I want whoever burn the police station down disposing of my body. Well, yeah, that, but also like, I want you to blow my fucking ashes into the face of whatever whatever cop you find basically all of them that that's how i want to go out i want to i want to live in the lungs of the fucking like nearest police i want to give them a motherfucking mesothelioma right i want him to have to call fucking i don't know 1888 lung lung lawyer to like to sue my fucking family for giving him some kind of weird breath uh bronchial disorder that like that like that's what I want my reaction. Choke on it, choke on it, bitch. Ah, but no, I I totally forgot about the hugging, and that was a whole different can of worms. I again, I mean, I don't think it's anybody's job to um, judge how the family grieves or chooses to sort of deal with their grief or their trauma. I mean, from my perspective, that shit seems kind of you know you seem a little bit like you know. What's what I'm looking for there? I, uh, honestly, I think they did it because they didn't want to get assassinated as well. Like, I think that's yeah, honestly exactly. what it is. I was, I was you say, worried your ass is going to get killed by it's the like police? It's required. <laughs> They're like, okay, cool. You were convicted of murdering our son. We have to act like we forgive you. Otherwise, I mean, let's not forget. This is this is fucking Texas. They face Klan violence. They face police violence. They face neo-Confederate violence. They face neo-Nazi violence. Like, there was no choice, right? And while I give them that benefit of the doubt because that's who they are i just am really pissed off at the narrative of black people are so forgiving and so great you know we should strive to be more like them well that's yeah that's a, that- I, I had been there too like i i, I again i'm with uh, chad and not gonna like critique the family for their thing but i i personally was hoping that you know you had like dosed her with acid and like whispered some like weird incantation in her ear to make her think she was cursed for the rest of her life or some invaded by demons or some sort of weird twist. Appar- no, apparently, apparently they're Haitian. You know, I don't know much about Haitian voodoo, but maybe that hug sealed it. You know, all, that's all I'm saying. I'm, <laughs> I didn't I'm, say voodoo, I'm, by I'm the fingers- way. I'm just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say voodoo. Not a thing- <laughs> hey, yo, voodoo is voodoo is a is big in Haiti, right? It's a primary religion. It's some, it's one of the few connections that we actually have as black folks to West Africa, which is where voodoo originated. And most of our ancestors came from the regions that practice voodoo. All I'm saying is fingers crossed that, you know, some, some fucked up voodoo shit happened. That's just me. I don't want to wish harm or anybody. I my, do. My, my larger point was that like, fuck the, that bitch. The, you make a powerful point. 
Adair about <laughs> about why forgiveness might have been more out of like again a practical safety issue and not out of like a coonish issue uh but you know we'll say six of one half a dozen the other the big issue more is like the cops hugging the cop i mean sorry the judge hugging the fucking cop and trying to position like this as though she'll get past it and all other shit like i like that to me is disqualifying of a judge although she did have the police endorsement so it 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 stands to reason that she was attempting to secure her own seat in power but that's a good that's a good lesson about the ways in which black people uh align themselves with the white supremacy in the most craven and disgusting of ways just to basically secure their own spot closer to the proximity of power right that's really what the lesson there is um the point there makes about white people understanding various incarnations of what we're discussing you know let's not let's not say racism but let's just say uh the oppressive structures that exist throughout the world and of and you know that basically act to uh normalize and fucking enact violence on a variety of vulnerable populations to just be as broad and vague as possible so i don't fucking forget anything um like people are very good at fucking identifying those structures when they affect them and that was kind of my larger point about that this kind of like a level I use the idea of levels as, you know, things happening at the interpersonal, the domestic, and then the global level. But it's also just like different incarnations of things happening uh, to different groups and et cetera, that you're, that you're better able to identify by nature of your own positionality, which is why it's important to have very diverse conversations. I'm saying on a show that's just three black guys um, <laughs> of various <laughs> of various mixed races and gender identities or sexualities, whatever. Um, it, but it's important to have diverse conversations so that people can pick up other people's blind spots right there's a reason why i would say elon omar of the four you know progressive quote-unquote congresswomen who were at the s4 the squad obviously i'm talking about um is the most i would argue progressive and staunchly progressive of them it's because her positionality as a somali immigrant uh allows affords her uh vantage point on oppressive structures that americans simply don't have what becomes frustrating i think is when you deal with people who are very capable of acknowledging and becoming grossly offended or i would even say in this case we're talking about like hypocritical so self-righteous about structures of oppression that they perceive as affecting them but when you try to loop in like oh i see you understand how uh the patriarchy works can we have a larger conversation about not only like racism or homophobia or transphobia and how these things are connected to the patriarchy but also the patriarchy as enacted on the global level right some of the same people who don't who like who are absolutely sure that trump is like a rapist and he is um you know a racist and he is uh what and you know all these lists of like terrible things that have kind of been i don't know collapsed down to uh the domestic and interpersonal level are perfectly are perfectly fine with him enacting those kind of racist you know uh sexist misogynist imperialistic i mean rather um homophobic uh impulses through the vehicle of imperialism and u.s military abroad right because they don't recognize those things there right so part of this is just like hey you know i see that you are very capable of acknowledging your own oppression can you take a step back and acknowledge that all of these social material 
uh, structures are not the same, right? That, you know, I think that's the problem that Adair's pointing out that like, hey, you have these groups of people who are white and we know that white fragility and just fragility in general causes people who can at least index at least who can at least index one oppressive structure as affecting them you know one part of their identity as being that of the underclass are very eager by nature not no sometimes strategically and sometimes just like a way to avoid dealing with you know having to sit with shame will escape into that identity and go hey you know what actually i can't be misogynist because i'm a black dude or actually i can't be racist because i'm a white woman or actually i can't be you know homophobic because i'm a blank blank you know insert like insert whatever marginal identity you want there uh but again the issue with that is that i think societally speaking and i think you can see this you can see this kind of play out in the law with affirmative action we have kind of collapsed every socio-material oppression into one where it's like either you're the white male like you know you're this rich white male like archetype that sits at the top of society or you're the other and all those others deal with things in the exact same way right they have the exact same or analogous oppressive structures raining down on them and that's that's just the way things work that's just not true right right? and i mean so and i think that's one of the things that really frustrates me so for those of our uh listeners that don't know i am openly queer and non-binary right so when i go to work i work primarily with white women in my office building I have very explicitly told everybody there I use they, them pronouns. Not a single person in that office has gendered me correctly one time since I've been working there in the last two months, two and a half months, nor do like in when I just existing in that office because their perception of me is that of a black man, I am made to feel viscerally uncomfortable. So if I walk down the hallway in this very small office to get to the bathroom, I've had coworkers stop in the middle of a conversation and just stare at me. Like, I don't belong there. I've had a security guard follow me into the secure building because he didn't think I knew the code. He thought I was just somebody off the street trying to break in, right? And so while these white women in the office absolutely face misogyny every single day, they all promote, you know, cis-sexism. They all promote homophobia. They all promote, all those straight ones at least promote homophobia, all the cis ones, right? promote transphobia and you know cis sexism and then you have all every single last one of them promoting racism right they make it very clear that i do not belong in the office in their eyes now mind you this is an office that works primarily with areas in in my hometown you know they they work in the hood they work in these areas where the the health the life expectancy difference is up to 20 years different from other parts of town and you know without with no coincidence these are the areas that have the highest population highest percentage of black folks in the entire city and so these are folks that whose whose job is to promote health equity but who in who can't even be respectful of their coworker. and if i bring it up and i'm you know i'm gonna have to bring it up with hr i guarantee you the response is going to be tears because they are going to use their femininity, their access to womanhood, their access to the fact that they deal with sexism to say, well, I can't be doing all these things. I'm a woman and I'm a good person, right? And then suddenly it becomes about them and it becomes about being a good person and it becomes about all these other things, whether or not they want to acknowledge what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They just don't care because it's not, you know, I don't belong to that in-group. And so it's very frustrating as a queer non-binary person of color to hear white queers talk about, you know, 
think to hear white queers talk about that type of oppression, like, you know, queer people of color don't exist. It's really frustrating to hear white trans people talk about trans trans issues like trans people of color don't exist. It's really annoying to hear black folks and other people of color talk about, you know, say incredibly homophobic things like queer people of color don't exist. And so people need to really pay attention to the intersections that they do and do not operate in. And if you don't operate in an intersection, just be mindful of not being a shitty person. But again, this is America and that's a really tall, that's a really tall order. You're, you're not allowed to have two things, <laughs> essentially. I don't know what you want to call them, Dare. You're, you're not allowed to just be like, actually, I'm black and gay because that's fucking confusing to people. I will say white women love to fucking cry. At this point, you know, we have to be wary of white tears because and we do know the long history of like white women getting black dudes in trouble. You know, Emmett Till, uh, you know, essentially white women using white femininity and also like white men using white femininity as a way to justify essentially oppressing non-white people. At the same time, though, you know, you have to be wary of positioning that as like an, uh, I don't know what you call it, as like a blanket rule, right? Because like, they, you know, like, I hate to say it, but like you, you see a white chick crying on the train, at least I see him crying on the train like all the time in New York City, and you have to kind of situate that within like the overall context of the world. It's like there's a 50% chance that they had something shitty happen to them as enacted by a white man. There's a, there's a 50% chance that they got called out online for like, I don't know, misgendering a trans woman or fucking right. or like saying poor people don't know how to use forks or some shit. It's like, like there's like that is just like the nature of the world world now uh like and but i think that the liberal white woman is still stuck i think liberals in general are still stuck within that uh second wave feminine like not even really second wave feminism but like they're they're sort of like kind of vague recollection of what second wave feminism actually is um mindset where they haven't internalized a lot of like sexist tropes and like sexist like ideals about like oh what here's what it means to be like a woman here's what it means to be a man like here's what the gender binary looks like and here's how you kind of construct liberation within the gender binary and a lot of that shit is just like they still think that they're innocent and that's a problem too right and i, I think that you know one of the unrecognized realities or one unrecognized effects of the erasure of women from history of women from history in a variety of forms not to mention erasure of black people and basically any everyone who isn't a white dude from history is that like white women have been allowed to position themselves as though they have been on the right side of issues throughout history uh as it pertains to social justice and civil rights and really they haven't like they have never been on the right side. They've always pretty much been like kind of, well, not even say split. They kind of always just go along with white dudes with a lot of shit, which we still see. But when you kind of erase, you know, you erase white women slave owners, you erase white women from uh, various, from like the from the Nazi party in Germany or other neo-fascist movements. You erase white women and their role in colonialism from like the history books. It allows like the modern day contemporary white women to position themselves as though historically speaking, they've always been acting as this foil, you know, this foil to uh, the white man's unrepentant fucking uh hunger for destruction and chaos and control when really they've been it throughout history either w wanting the same thing negotiating that with them uh through through a variety of mechanisms or they've just been like i don't know proving that they can be 
proving themselves within the patriarchy by overperforming various forms of bigotry to non-white people, right? Yeah, like it is like that is the unfortunate reality of our society and the ways in which we have framed success. That oftentimes when you're dealing with people who are not white dudes, uh they tend to overperform success by overperforming white masculinity, which to them, and I guess to a lot of people too, is an overperforming of misogyny and an overperforming of racism that can sometimes go unchecked if you're if you were una- if you were able to escape into other identities, if that makes any sense. If you're able to say, okay, well, yeah, I know I treat all my black co my black coworkers or black employees like shit, but actually I'm also black. Or I also jail black single mothers, uh, but I'm also a black woman. It's like, <laughs> you know, not that, that, not that that is anybody who we right, know. Right, it doesn't disqualify of, you from running do, from president either, apparently. I mean, if anything, it's, it's a, it, apparently it's a qualifier. You know, like, people like that shit. People, people like the idea of a cop versus a criminal, even though crime is cool and cops suck because they, they invent fake, they invent obviously fake stories. Yo, Kamala Harris Kamala Harris's inability to come up with a reasonable justification for why she was jailing all those single mothers is indicative of the is like indicative of the inability of cops to come up with plausible reasons for why this should be happening. That's what it is, right? It's like there's something within the cops' brain that prevents them from being able to like come up with excuses that make sense to the average person because they know by nature of the fact that we have a system with no accountability that no one's ever going to really grill them very hard so they're like oh yeah i don't know that dude managed to shoot himself in the head with his hand cut with his hands cuffed behind his back with a gun that he was hiding up his ass it's just like he had this desert eagle fucking keistered and he just he shot himself in the back of the cop car in the fucking head like, that, that makes sense it's, it's and of course like you know the majority of people who occupy position of powers either because they're dumb or because they have some kind of centrist of affinity with the system or because they're both are going like hmm yeah that makes sense like cops wouldn't lie they protect the law the law is good but i mean obviously since the dare brought up queer uh white people and like gay white people and all that shit uh we should talk about the ellen thing because i think that's a good vehicle to also talk about the impeachment so like what do you guys think about ellen's uh rendezvous with george h w was it h w or was it w the- it was which, one. It was one, one of the which war one criminals. Is, I mean, honestly, I can't remember which one is. I think they're both H. W. Bush, but only one goes by that because I think one is Bush Junior. I hate the, white people. Uh, the the dumb one, but not the boring <laughs> one. The boring because the boring, well, I'm thinking about Jeb, and I, I remember people were like, "Oh, Jeb is the smart Bush," and when it turns out that Jeb is just the boring <laughs> Bush, like he's also dumb and Jeb unlikable. is the dry like, eyes anyway, guy but, on like fucking Xanax. Jeb is, Jeb is the is the cuck bush. Yo, <laughs> still, still thinking. I, I guess he's happy though because uh, Kamala Harris recently had a moment that uh, might take over his uh, a little bit later with a uh, you know a please clap moment with uh, asking the people in the room if they were ready for her campaign and they said no. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Kamala Harris Hold on, hold on. Did you hear that shit about how Kamala Harris was going around Iowa, like talking to people and, and fucking uh, campaigning and shit? And she saw like four, uh, four school age kids just out of school. And she was like, "Where are your parents?" Oh. I was just like, "Oh no, <laughs> why aren't you in school? Where are oh, your man. parents?" I'm like, "Oh shit!" And, like you can't, you can't, you can't keep a good cop down. You can take the, you can take the. 
I, I got lost. That one got lost on me, guys. No, bro. I want to. I want to reiterate a, a point that you made that I think is really important, though. That we see historically over and over and over again, going back through slavery till today, and it's the that radical, like radical minorities that are set on fundamentally changing the systems of oppression are always abandoned by reformists who can identify, who find some sort of part of their identity which can be incorporated into the oppressive system. It happens over and over and over again, and it's happening now. I think it's happening now, which is what concerns me. I think uh, the whole Ellen and George Bush is kind of part of that manifestation. I just want to say real quick, um, white people are nev- have never, at least in this country, wanted to actually be a part of the revolution, except like I think it was like, what, fucking Bacon's revolution or some shit like that you learned in 11th grade history, right? But generally speaking, and in the in the particular case of Ellen, Ellen was never about any real type of radical change. Ellen was comfortable, and Ellen has been comfortable as a rich white woman. The only thing that she did not have, right, was the assimilation of marriage equality. And once she got that, that was the end of her fight, right? So let's let's be realistic when we talk about these things. Most white people that face some level of systemic uh, discretion discrimination rather all they care about is assimilating right and that's part of why they're so comfortable rehabilitating the bushes it's why they're so comfortable rehabilitating reagan like they they revere ronald reagan many of them have tried to rehabilitate nixon too like right so like they don't as long as they're able to find some level of comfort in the system as long as their discomfort is taken away you know it's not it's not that big a deal to them and so honestly i mean to to tie this into today's uh rhetoric i wouldn't be surprised you know if 10 years from now nancy pelosi and donald trump take a you know are caught hobnobbing together at some kind of party with hillary clinton right like it just would not surprise me in the slightest because Donald Trump is absolutely going to be rehabilitated by white liberals once this is all over and the people that claim to be so adamantly against him are going to go right back to being friends with him since they were friends before he even ran for president to them politics is nothing but a pastime and not something that actually has direct impacts on people's lives I mean honestly president cuckfuhrer fucking 420 is going to make Donald Trump president seem seem like a, a walk in the park I mean, once all the non-gamers are put in fucking camps where they are forced to learn how to play Dance Dance Revolution and Fortnite at the same time, then, like, we're going to look back on the halcyon days where only fucking, you know, undocumented uh, immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers were put in camps. And I I guess homeless people now, too. Uh, The Ellen thing is kind of unsurprising. Um insofar as that like i i think that she's like she is in fact that it gets better to liberal right she's like her like she's an it's good and i say that in a sense that i i think back to like the it's it gets better campaign that was very popular about 10 years ago which was like at the surface level you like you have a hard time criticizing campaigns like that without looking like a fucking douchebag because like you know it's just like hey you know gay kids kids of lgbtq fucking varieties uh, and of course like the most the most oppressed LGBTQ sub variety, the sapiosexual, um, like are dealing with bullying in high schools at, you know, in school, in schools and just like in their adolescence at levels that are basically epidemic and people are like there's suicide that is the result from that and various other issues, right? And a homicide too. Um, but for me, the It Gets Better campaign never really landed because like for a lot of people and by nature of living in society, it's more or less socioeconomically defined at birth. 
like it doesn't get any better, right? So the campaign itself was more or less one of those campaigns that was entirely aimed at a relatively privileged part of the population that for whom like bullying in high school and high school settings was going to be their pri- and interpersonal bullying as well, whether or not it indexed larger structure, structures of oppression were was going to be like the hardest part of their life. It was going to be the hard. They weren't going to have to deal with po- too much poverty. Although obviously there's a huge intersection between like, you know, queer kids and poverty and all their shit too. But like the people it was aimed at, not to say it couldn't help those people, uh, other people, where the, the like the, was that like that more or less privileged subpopulation where it's like, hey, yeah, you know, once you get turned eighteen, you'll go to fucking Old Berlin, you'll go to some liberal arts college, you'll go to Harvard, you'll go any place where you know your parents can afford to send you, and like you'll find us, you'll find an entire population of kids like you who are also queer, who are also gay, who are also bi, and like you won't have to deal with like the small-minded people in your high school, you know, etc. Right. And also you'll age out of like a lot of those hormonal issues that make everything seem like you're going to die. So recently uh, on my Facebook, a lot of I, a, a lot of my non-black friends were posting some K-pop uh, videos, right? And the thumbnails caused me to pause because I was like, whoa, they artificially darkened this Korean performer's skin and was just tripping black aesthetic. First of all, first of all, I, I want to stop you right there. I think it's disrespectful to Justin Trudeau, who has to make a living, a living for you to judge his work. Like he is, he is doing, he is doing what God put him on this earth for. And really, what we need to be interrogating right now, and I don't mean to again. I know I went long, but I, I, I hate to interrupt you. What we need to be interrogating right now is what are the chances that one of these three black dudes is Justin Trudeau? Right? Like, which, like it's it's not impossible that the guy who's laying in the hospital who the police have essentially set up for the murder of joshua brown is in fact justin trudeau in disguise it's not you know there's a non-zero chance that joshua brown is justin trudeau in disguise right we don't know we can never know anymore what justin trudeau has taken from us with his elaborate blackface master of disguise dana carvey level escapades is the certainty that the person you're talking to or that you see in the news who appears to be brown is not actually the prime minister of canada and i think that we haven't done enough to uh discuss and problematize this new world we live in where every black person you meet on the street might be justin trudeau good well quickly i just want to clarify also that uh i was looking over some court documents and it appears that uh takeshi also reported that they were all members of the nine shut the fuck up can i I just say this though Uh, again we're we're just talking over adair quite readily now like i was re-listening to the dipset christmas album from (laughs) the early 2000s as one will do and as one does when they're trying, you wow. know, when they're, you know, in the the pe- in the throes of ecstasy. Dip. I can't. Uh, wow. <laughs> see, no, I was listening to a, a Jim Jones Dipset Christmas album, and within the Dipset Christmas album, which I can only imagine has like five listens, all five for me. Um, like he identifies, like he identifies his gang affiliation in the chorus. Like I mean, like essentially, like, why he feels the need to rep his his rep his colors on a, a Christmas album. I guess well, I mean it, it. It is red and blue. It is red and white. Are the colors of Christmas? And thanks to Coca Cola. But uh, it, so essentially, like there was no information that 
Takeshi Six Nine, who is also going to be that nigga's going to die, uh, killed like, in, real soon. Going to be killed in a drug <laughs> in a drug bus going bad. Um, like Takeshi Six Nine, uh, Joshua Brown, and fucking Epstein are all going to just be chilling, waiting for. Well, I, I assume Epstein's going to go to hell. I don't know what I, Joshua, as an anime fan in a, a victim of police brutality, is going to go to heaven. And Takeshi Six Nine, I don't I don't know where. Uh, I guess he's going to go to Thug Mansion. No, no, do not disrespect oh. Pac like that. Anyway, but like so, really, Takeshi Six Nine didn't give anyone any information that wasn't readily available on the Dipset Christmas album. I will say that since no one listens to that, but me and Takeshi Six Nine, that seems I guess that technically counts as snitching. But you know, again, <laughs> off track. Adair, what were you saying? No, I, so I think just to, to bring it back a little bit, right? Because we're talking about how white folks really just want their discomfort removed. I think, you know, they're the, especially liberal white folks, the way they interact with race is interesting. And, the, and so that's the reason why I bring up a bunch of the, my non-black friends that, or non-black people I know rather, posting these pictures of, uh, like these videos for K-pop albums with songs on Facebook. And again, the, this artist, she was, are like, she was made artificially darker. She was like, they pulled as much black aesthetic and darkened her skin for this for this album cover. I am absolutely positive because she, she ain't get that dark naturally. I feel like that's just me as a as a black Asian just putting that out there, right? But then when I start, when I just make a general post about it, right? I was like, oh, like a lot of a lot of people, in particular non black people, they talk about how they don't like hip hop, how they feel there's no musical value in hip hop and rap music, but they love K pop. One K pop artist, they can't dance. Two. Most of them don't even like they don't even co-opt black aesthetic, right? And it's not necessarily that K-pop itself is inherently problematic. It is in some ways, but in this case, right, we're talking about the way people consume it, right? And in particular, white liberals. So they love to consume things that they hate in in its in, in, in its true sense, right? So white liberals really just don't like black people, but they love black aesthetic, they love blackness as long as it's divorced. From black people. And that's part of why they really want this kind of colorblind. They want this. They want, you know, that colorblind wholesale gluten free slavery. They want to be able to hold these ideas right about black people, but not be challenged on them. They want to be able to hold these ideas about queer people, but not be challenged on them because all they really want is equal. They really just want equal opportunity oppression, you know, of all non-white people yeah i like to call it the and that's really what it comes down to and you see this in their consumption of media you see this in the way they interact with people of color you see this every single day like this is why you know they'll they'll shit on tupac but they sure will blast some you know a korean rapper who can't eat, like has no flow and is just trash i mean yeah honestly the worst form of racism you no one remembers this but me but like uh the was like the maybe around circa 2007 to 2011 when like acapella ukulele covers of rap songs by like a vaguely attractive white women were the most like viewed videos online it was just like look at becky that do her rendition of, look at becky do her rendition of juicy uh featuring <laughs> <laughs> lord featuring the junior mafia uh or was could- it um fucking international players anthem <laughs> by ugk on the ukulele while her fucking <laughs> While her uh, 
a, a barely shaven like a uh, boyfriend accompanies her on the fucking harmonica. It's like okay, and, but basically, I mean, honestly, I, I I think that there's a straight line you could draw between those videos, like fucking oh yeah. Carmen and uh, the rise of concentration camps again. And <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to affirm what I was gonna say before. I fucking <laughs> no, but so I mean, so just to go back to the Ellen thing, right? So. Ellen's response to people being mad that George W. Bush was that she accompanied George W. Bush to like the Dallas Cowboys game again. Dallas, wow, just like so. Really, Dallas uh, is just fucking knocking out the park this week. Um, uh, and set in his like weird skybox with him, she was incredibly dismissive of the criticisms of that. Like you know, people got mad on Twitter, and really, what she wanted to say was that like, look, I may be gay, but I'm also rich. Um, <laughs> I'm also rich, so anything that he does that might have any effect on you people really does not have any effect on me, right? And so I'm able to overlook that because hey, shit, who cares? Like you know, like he so he got into so he like so a hunt a million dead Iraqis could be arguably placed on his shoulders uh that's not enough for me to make things awkward at the cocktail parties that i go to right but what is frustrating for me is that the rehabilitation of the bush administration whether it be bush himself or bill crystal or fucking david from who people were also mad at me for going like hey it's not cool to retweet david from because in many ways he was one of the architects of the war on terror at least sort of a propagandist behind it they're like oh but what if he says something that i agree with it's like well you should ask yourself if he's the only person saying this, and then maybe it's, you know, you should just steal it. <laughs> you should just steal it and retweet it somewhere else, because stealing from a war criminal is not a crime. You can just do it. Um, or, you know, but, but again, he's never saying anything unique that other people aren't saying that someone who I would agree with would rightfully want to uh, retweet. Um, the only things unique that he says are like weirdly neo-fascist, right? Or like weirdly proto-fascist about how we have to, you know, like if the if liberals want to beat the far right, they just basically better do be the far right. Like that's like those are his only his only unique ideas are the ideas that are bad, and the only reason he has a platform by which he can negotiate any kind of social capital is because he was complicit in all these bad things. But again, you're not allowed to say that because you know you can say that i can say whatever fuck i want but like you're not allowed to use that argument and say hey which is really just context it's like hey you know what you're pretending as though he just has this clout he has this platform he has this level of social capital you know he's on msnbc he's writing for this magazine simply because like you know forget why when really it's because he was part of the bush administration right so anything that he does with that platform you kind of have to negotiate uh with that and it's not as though he's using that platform to like espouse good ideas to rehabilitate himself he's really just like saying the same shit he said before with like again the air of never trumpism to it despite the fact that he largely agrees with most of the shit that trump is doing and he is largely you can draw a direct line between him and trump the frustrating part about this whole thing is that the people who are like Ellen, who are like who are defending Ellen, who are basically normalizing the lack of accountability that exists within our society, uh, who are complicit in the erosion of any kind of uh, any kind of social sanctions? For, forget fucking material or formal sanctions, but like informal social sanctions for these people are also the people who are who wake up every morning shocked that accountability does not exist for Donald Trump. 
it's turning cowardice or learned helplessness or whatever you want to call it in the face of like systemic helplessness or a systemic lack of accountability into like a deep nuanced ideological or aesthetic or philosophical thing and it's not that right like you have some people arguing that, oh like forgiveness whether it be hugging the people who killed your your brother or forgiving the bush administration is actually part of this deep moral and philosophical tradition and it's obviously in some ways it can be but in this case it's working you're working backwards you're saying that we have like it's people it's people forgiving or avoiding conflict or doing all these things to the to avoid having to address the fact that we don't have accountability right and largely because we have a few moral entrepreneurs who argue tooth and nail against accountability for other things who didn't find themselves unable to establish any kind of precedent for holding people accountable now right even when it comes to the whistleblower thing it's like oh you want to protect whistleblowers it would have been really good that we have been doing that for the past 20 years because then you could because then you could act morally shocked and so when richard says that they're going to be or, or dare says or it says that we're going to be rehabilitating the trump administration we already are like we are we are all like as soon as anyone leaves the Trump administration, whether they're fired or they quit or they, you know, they accidentally trip over their own dick and injure themselves. And so they have to go on medical leave. Uh, like within two months, they're already back on the talk show circuit. You know, they have a, a cushy gig at CNN and so or, or Fox News. And so like all the other media pundit class are going to circle ranks around them because of social reasons. And so you can't hold them accountable then. And they're advancing with the stars and they're doing all this shit. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of excellent points that you brought up there, and some of the people that come to my mind that I would add to that list would be uh, Nicole Wallace, who uh, recently actually, who was uh, a propagandist for the Bush administration, worked on McCain-Palin's campaign as well, and now has a show on MSNBC and sat in for Rachel Maddow. So it's like Rachel Maddow, who made her uh, career essentially ripping apart the Bush administration and the lies that helped lead us into that war then gives her platform to one of those propagandists that help get us into that war and lead to all those dead Iraqis and trillion spent and so on and so forth. So it's like that rehabilitation is uh, uh, very prominent in media I've seen and I think also uh, leads to a lot of what we're seeing now. Uh, the normalization of Bush, I think, connects with uh, also the like expecting uh, uh, Mueller to hold Trump accountable and uh, looking to the FBI to to investigate Dallas PD to uncover the the real killers of of uh, Josh Brown, and it's just like this kind of circle of thinking that, uh, like you said, uh, expects these institutions to to be able to hold these people accountable, and then act shocked when when they don't. Uh, meanwhile, completely ignoring the the atrophying of them going on, and then the other aspect that I think that comes up a lot is there's a Essentially, or one of the points you mentioned, uh, I think can be summed up is all skin folk, skin folk ain't kin folk. And uh, the other way that I encapsulated is that there's people that want a rainbow coalition of oppressors, which essentially leads to like the real the realization that there's a lucrative professional life in being a figurehead of an oppressed group that advocates for that oppressed groups uh, continued oppression or tries to marginalize or negotiate or find a, a path to, of reform or moderation uh which really just acts to temper down any sort of radicalization that may be happening in that community and so 
I think all of those lead together or like weave together to form uh, the lack of accountability that we see that we're seeing with Trump. And when I mentioned earlier towards the top of the show about uh, coming to a boiling point, it doesn't necessarily mean that it rises to a point where we actually resolve these issues. It just means that somebody like Trump is going to push it to a point where the, uh, the essentially a constitutional crisis is uh, called into question and uh, you were left with essentially the Democrats leaning on a system and expecting to be able to find uh, law enforcement officers that are willing to arrest Trump, like totally ignoring that, you know, Trump, uh, I think there was a police org uh, website uh, surveyed like 15,000 cops or like got 5,000 responses and Trump had something like 80 something percent support among police. And although I'm sure uh, leadership at the FBI and uh, other law enforcement agencies might not be so, uh, uh, you know, kindly looking at Trump, the rank and files have overwhelmingly both showed uh, an affinity towards white supremacy and w- would naturally lead towards an affinity towards Trump. So, but here's the thing, like, here's something you brought up, right? Folks, uh, you know, people like the, the really, really the capitalist class, right? The media pundits and politicians and folks like that, assuming that the general public is just going to adopt their idea of morality and the reality is i is i don't see that not happening pretty you know very very rarely are there instances that i think that individuals actually come to their own conclusions of what is morally correct what is morally right right like to, let's be real how many of us know people that actually spend time reading any sort of political theory but they have this idea in their heads that the U.S. has to be morally right because well, why would our leaders lie to us? But if you don't if you don't have the time, the ability, the space, whatever the reason to read more political theory, to expand what the idea of what is morally right actually is, then uh, then oftentimes you're going to go you're going to lean on that authority. That's why so many people find solace in religion. It's a lot easier to have those decisions made for you. It's a lot easier to have some higher power, something that you don't fully comprehend, telling you, hey, this is morally correct and this is morally incorrect. You know, I would make the argument that for a lot of for a lot of things, you know, you don't really need that kind of thing. Right. Most of us know that just wanton murder is wrong. That's that. That's just that it is what it is. But. You know, one of the other things is that religion is a useful tool for people in power, in particular in this country, right? In other countries, it's really useful for the capitalist class. Sorry about that. That's my dog in the background. You know, it's it's really useful for the capitalist class because it helps in it helps protect their interests. I don't think stealing is morally wrong depending on who you're stealing from. If you're stealing from, you know, a corporation, if you're stealing from Walmart, JCPenney, any box store, I don't think that's morally wrong. In fact, I would argue that you have the right to steal their merchandise, especially if you work there. You're just, you know, you create the you without 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 workers, there is no capital. And so I really don't see an issue with work with the working class doing things like stealing from Walmart. I don't care. You know, you need to, you, you're 20 bucks short, you know, take it out of the fucking till. That's your money, right? But that idea of morality changes depending on who you talk to. Because in my opinion, from my, in, from the standpoint that I'm informed, right, both in my economic and political stance, I find that to be a morally correct thing to do. But if you were to look at uh, any, you know, your average American, they'd be like, oh, no, that's horrible. You know, that's, a, you know, the, you're, you're stealing from somebody. They're not going to be able to have a job. Well, fuck that. Fuck Walmart. 
You know? Well, I mean, it doesn't even matter, though, right? It doesn't matter if Bush is worse. It doesn't matter if Reagan is worse. It doesn't really matter if Nixon is worse because that's not how history works, right? Like, it's not about who was worse in some kind of, to- especially, who about- it's not about who was worse in some kind of uh, contextless vacuum. It's about understanding how and why something is happening when it's happening. And there is a straight line from Nixon and his Southern strategy and his racist war on drugs and his other, you know, and his hatred of the Irish, <laughs> his virulent hatred of the Irish, um, which again, is one of his better qualities. Oh, his crime, you know, <laughs> you know his, his crimes, like his Watergate, his Watergate crimes and the other shit that he did. Uh, Reagan and the Contra, Iran Contra, like all these people think like, there's a straight line from like, like that from Nixon to Trump and like why Trump is in power now. And all positioning Trump as an aberration does or making these comparative analyses between Trump and Bush, not that they can't be interesting or helpful, uh, does is put us in a world where we are incapable of ever drawing any pattern or understanding the trajectory or pipeline to how we got to where we we got to or in how we can prevent going to the next place and continuing down this path. Because all it does is, is I mean, essentially people are just succumbing to nostalgia, right? Like they're coming to this, they're succumbing to this weird imagined view of the past that simply never existed because they're incredibly dissatisfied with the future, I mean, with the present. And really, I mean, it's mostly just centrist and they're like in their view of the president being foisted on us because they can, they, they're overrepresented in the media, but it's important to understand that like that's what's happening. It's like they're, they're just succumbing to nostalgia and making all these comparative analyses because of nostalgia, but they're just removing these people from their context. So like they're not learning anything. Like they're never, it's impossible to learn anything because the only view they have is incredibly situated in the present in their own discomfort in the present, if that makes any sense. And so, like, of course, they're going to rehabilitate Trump because, A, they won't learn anything from the Trump administration. They'll just be glad it's over. We'll have another president if it's not Bernie Sanders, who doesn't do enough to move us, doesn't do enough to move us further to the left to prevent a, a worse Trump from coming, because that is the cycle of Republican and Democrat. And then they'll be re- rehabilitating Trump because the next person will be worse um, and it'll make it'll make them uncomfortable. Or, or again, it might be a Ted Cruz type figure or who like doesn't make them uncomfortable, but is definitely fucking worse. And we'll just be doing this forever. We'll be doing this forever. Well, and one like I'm pretty con- I'm confident that Trump won't be held accountable, can't be held accountable because he is essentially the manifest of like U.S. capitalism's id. And to hold him accountable is to hold ourselves accountable in a way that we just can't possibly reconcile. And on top of that, Trump is essentially uh hinging hinging his future on that he's he's betting on that america can't hold itself accountable and so long as he represents the the under the dark underbelly of america he he's invulnerable and that's essentially the the bet he's making he's saying i'll drag this process out i'll make sure that i'll fight i'll kick and fight on every single subpoena on every single document on everything is like if you manage to like uh rush this through and you manage to get the supreme court to side with you and you manage to get the senate to side with you i'm still gonna make you drag me out of this fucking building in handcuffs and i don't think you can find the cops to do it yeah 
I, I don't. I, I agree. I don't think they can. But I mean, I don't. I also don't think Trump has any kind of like real plan, right? I think that it's it's comforting to believe that. I think that you have some people who believe still for some reason that Trump has some kind of plan, or he is like operating on some level where he instinctual. I mean, that he understands the Democratic Party what they want. It's like really, it's just like the more upsetting and more realistic explanation for this stuff. And this is like I guess the opposite of my paranoid delusions about. Uh, Justin Trudeau being uh, uh, a deep state op for Dallas PD um, is that like he just happens to be the one input into our system that reveals how fucking broken it is. Yeah, yeah. It's like I know that the oppression that like bombing seven countries to dust is terrible and oppressive, but it's not personal. Like, you know, people feel their own personal oppression or the oppression of people who look like them or who oper- who who resemble people who navigate their social circle. Even if it's not just oppression, it's just like meanness or bullying or any other sort of term for interpersonal, just like meanness or whatever you want to call it. Or, or um, they like they understand that because it's personal they understand like the impetus to change it immediately because it's personal and that's why you have people and this is going to sound unfortunate who are basically like mentioning fat the fat phobia of marianne williamson in the same conversation as like global foreign america's foreign policy and i'm like that's those two things aren't in any way equatable it's like, 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 you know, you can't rank oppression, but you, yes, you can. You literally can sometimes because something is just like, it's actually pretty easy to rank oppression if you really think about it. The only people who think it's, who think it isn't are people who tend to like, don't rank very low on it, right? But it's actually pretty good. Like, oh, you know, it's, it's way better to be black in America than it is to be like, you know, in the Middle East, to be in Iraq, of course it is. Like that's like that's not a hard calculus. That's not hard calculus. It's just, but you know, when you're talking about your own positionality, it becomes very easy to like see the the imperative to change things about that. Which is why you know we can't simply rely on the positionality of you know the personal narratives of people within our you know who who proposed to represent us on television to accurately portray the depth and plurality of these problems because that's not usually their goal their goal is to correct whatever discrepancy exists between themselves personally and people who resemble them most closely uh in a variety of ways and this ideal person you know like you can't what's the old saying you can't ask somebody in second place what's wrong with society because they'll just give you the list of reasons for why they feel like it's incredibly specious and asinine that they're not in first place but they will still believe in the meritocracy up until the point in which it no longer applies to them right you know and i think that's like that's a you know that's a important thing to recognize that people you know we believe in meritocracy and american exceptionalism and all these sort of like bullshit narratives that contribute to an inability to fully understand the depth in the breadth of oppressive structures um when they apply to us yeah <laughs> like when they apply to us it's like you know how many columnists in the new york times or like or who proposed to be like the the anti-racist columnist for blank magazine actually has an in-depth nuanced understanding of the intersectionality or rather the intersection of like class and race and gender and like in reality it's just like they just have narratives that more like like hey you know wouldn't it be great if black people were had enough billion were enough billionaires as white people 
Like, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be the mo- the best way to solve America's problems? Like, no, not really. Like, it wouldn't really solve anything. I mean, obviously, I'm being a little bit reductive there, but like, I, I used to agree with people who were like, you can have a you can have an, a a deep important nuanced take on racism without necessarily mentioning class or any of the other intersecting structures but i think that's just a cop-out now i think it's a way to avoid having to interrogate the people who within our own populations or within our own groups that reach a level of prominence within the current system and don't necessarily want to self-reflect on that what that popularity implies about their proximity to the status quo if that makes any sense but we should probably wrap this up because <laughs> we've gone long but any yeah, i would just thoughts? add quickly to that is that i don't consider myself like immune from that criticism either is like I, I fall victim to circles of empathy and like prioritizing the things that affect me more than the ones that of course, because yeah, you're, you're right. human. I mean, that's not to say you shouldn't do yeah, that. Yeah, it's about being cognizant and aware of it and acting in ways to to address it. You know, it's like, so, like, I try to take a more active uh, engagement with uh, learning about, like, disabled issues or learning about indigenous people's issues or learning about variety of issues that are of uh, people that are marginalized groups that I'm not a part, I'm not directly uh, connected with. And, and so, like, that's... Uh, more or less like what I think is most important is that people take, make an awareness and act to do something to correct it uh, rather than try to imagine themselves as being immune or it not existing within them at all, because I don't think that's realistic. The only thing I have to say to the folks that are, are that are listening to this right now is just simply the ruling class is illegitimate. Tear it all down, tear it the fuck down. Yeah, with that is like with black forgiveness and, and just in general, the forgiveness is the fact that the United States isn't an ash heap is a testament to the forgiveness of the people that it's abused and oppressed throughout its history. And I think one of the greatest hopes for a revolutionary action is the uh, intrinsic intrinsic positioning of mediocrity in the upper echelons of power within the systems of colonialism and imperialism and that the people that are in charge or in power are inherently mediocre uh, at doing the even the shitty jobs that they do and so that gives us an opportunity to uh, to take them out of their positions of power yeah fuck george w bush man i mean honestly he's a war criminal anyone who's going through the process of rehabilitating him doesn't deserve doesn't deserve to even have the illusion of being shocked that trump is not being held accountable right like like it's 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 fucking nonsense like if you if you live in a world where you're allowed to think that way uh you're just like you should get better friends because like it really is just like basic pattern recognition and you're being you're being fucking conditioned to not be able to like add two and two together it's like oh well i don't know like i i thought we should let all the bankers who crashed the economy and all the people who started the endless war and all of the you know and all of the uh the various malfeasances committed against the middle east and poor people and brown people uh off but this trump guy uh he he strikes me as bad news at the end of the day 
just just you know go about go about your business recognize that the system is not here to support you it's here to hold you back and the only thing we have they you know the only people we have are 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 the other folks in our class we need to tear down empire tear down billionaires just restart the whole fucking thing it's trash and it's time uh, also commit more crimes always commit i mean if they're gonna crimes. pretend i mean if they're gonna pretend like if, they, if the cops are just gonna Not like we endorse hire criminality. some black pl- hire some black dude slash justin trudeau to kill you anyway if you even if you just live in your life enjoying your anime you might as well commit more crimes i mean shit they can they can only kill you <laughs> they can only kill you once <laughs> thanks for listening guys bye